One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The following podcast contains graphic content that may not be suitable for some listeners. Discretion is advised. Previously on Unraveled, once a killer. She was found with her shirt pushed up. She'd been shot in the back of the head with a 380 caliber bullet. And he'd been beaten in the head extensively. Did you ever think, looking back, that he could be capable of such horrible violence? You know, I... I, I would have never seen it, no. I'm thinking maybe we'll match to 40 relatives. He says, I've narrowed it down to one name, William Earl Talbot II. It's unbelievable to think that there was that kind of a breakthrough after that many years. I ran his criminal history, and it was pretty insignificant. I had a friend that, that, that murdered two people that were innocent. What in the hell is wrong? So how did your interest in building your family tree and genealogy begin? It started at the end of 2013. I was at the tail end of a really unpleasant, depressive episode, had a bad year, and I needed something to take my mind off things. And I discovered genealogy and how it gives you a whole bunch of little mysteries to solve and, and clues to follow. In 2013, Genealogy websites received approximately 108 million visitors over the course of the year. Chelsea Rustad of Olympia, Washington was one of them. I entered a contest on Facebook that Ancestry was having for Halloween, where they said, share a favorite Halloween memory. And I shared a photo of me from 1987 wearing my Halloween costume of a ballerina, and I posted it. And then they randomly picked 
two winners out of, I think about 300 plus entries and I was one of them, which was incredibly fortunate. So they sent me the Ancestry DNA kit in the mail. And when you have DNA, you can connect with people you didn't know you were related to. In retrospect, you are kind of accepting the possibility that you might make some disturbing revelations. It's telling you the truth. And if that's scary, then DNA might not be a path that everyone should go down. But I love to learn new things about family and genealogy, obviously. So I wanted to know whatever might be out there. In this case, genetic genealogy revealed that I was related to a murderer. There's a whole different type of person out there killing very violently that aren't serial killers. This person was the polar opposite of everything police have been looking for. The fear is there's these one-off offenders hiding in the shadows, living a normal life. Here is somebody who's so well-known. Right under everybody's nose. From Discovery Plus, ID, and Joke Productions. This is Unraveled, Once a Killer. A five-part podcast that investigates the mystery of one-and-done sexual thrill killers who are openly living among us. I'm Alexis Linkletter. And I'm Billy Jensen. The arrests of William Talbot and Raymond Rowe one month apart in 2018 were a giant breakthrough in the world of criminology. They were also a giant wake-up call. These murderers hadn't simply slipped through the cracks. They had exposed a gaping hole in the investigative process. The recognition of the one-and-done killer. This type of offender had not been studied by profilers, who seemed to focus on serial murderers. And because of this, the profiles of these killers had essentially missed the mark. They wandered free for decades as normal members of society. And when their day of reckoning arrived, it wasn't because of an advancement in behavioral analysis. It was because of the rising accessibility of genetic genealogy. And that brings us to Chelsea Rustad. My dad did come from a large family of seven kids, but I didn't really have too hard of a time tracking down his branch of the family. William Talbot was added to my tree the very first day that I started genealogy. When Chelsea began researching her ancestry at the age of 31, she had no idea the role she would be playing in solving one of the most baffling cold cases in the Pacific Northwest. All she wanted to do was learn a little bit about her past. She was able to fill in her dad's side easier than expected, considering her limited interaction with them. We just weren't close with that side of the family, didn't grow up with them for whatever reason. So there wasn't a lot of opportunity for my family to attend a lot of events with them. But putting names on a chart was a long way from really knowing these relatives. And there was one person that proved especially difficult to research, William Talbot. He was the hardest to learn anything about. He does not have any social media presence that I could ever find. He wasn't even like, you see all the family photos that his his sisters or his parents share, and then he's in the photos. He's just, nope, he's not in the photos. Nobody ever talks about him. It seems like he's not present at whatever's going on in their lives. He had been basically cut off and estranged from his own immediate family. So you had a curiosity about him even prior to all this? Yeah. And I, I couldn't learn anything about him, though, because, he, again, 
There was nothing to go off of. Chelsea dove deeper into her research to see what more she could learn about her family, using every resource she could find. I shared my sample on GEDmatch and played with some of the tools on the site, but didn't really find any like major revelations, so I just left it out there and forgot about it. When GEDmatch started, the terms of service made any user's profile automatically searchable by another user, including law enforcement. And that led to a very surprising visit for Chelsea in 2018. Two investigators from Skagit County knocked on my door and said that they wanted to ask me about a family member of mine who was just arrested for murder, which, you know, absolutely took me aback and was shocking. Then, of course, they're, like, kind of seeing, like, I'm really shocked, and they're like, oh, it's, you know, from this cold case from 1987. I'm like, wait, what? This is even more confusing. Who is this? And and then they tell me it's William Earl Talbot. And suddenly that name does ring a bell. They wanted to confirm some things with me and ask me about how I knew for sure that we were connected. And I showed them the, the chain of relatives that, um, that put us together and our shared ancestors that we had in common. Chelsea was unable to tell the investigators anything personal about Talbot. Instead, they were the ones who told her something earth-shattering about him. That was the first time I had heard about Jay Cook and Tanya Van Kylenborg and what happened to them. It's absolutely horrible and unthinkable, and it was so disgusting to me. If you hadn't have uploaded your DNA to GEDmatch, they may never have caught him. That was definitely the takeaway that I had because they kept telling me that this would not have been possible otherwise. Chelsea would soon learn much more about William Talbot because despite the DNA evidence, he maintained his innocence and sent the case to trial. The deeper investigation would dredge up some ugliness from Talbot's past, which helped explain why his family had largely broken ties with him. He assaulted his own family members and pushed his sister down, broke her tailbone, threatened his father and said, when I get a driver's license, I'm going to run you over. And just all of these really upsetting incidents. One of the worst instances was when his sister shared that he tried to sexually assault her. And she told their mom about what happened. And even then, the, the mom is just saying, well, you know, he's just not popular with, with girls at school, and that's just what boys do when they're lonely. Everyone, even his own family, was saying that the, the picture of the man that emerged was a really angry and physical, uh, disturbed young man his whole life. Talbot's relatives had a very different image of him than his friend Mike did, who we introduced you to in the last episode. Talbot had proven good at hiding his true self from outsiders. But DNA doesn't lie. Talbot's conviction was a win for science. And Chelsea was glad that she could play a role in finding justice for two innocent victims. I was invited by Detective Jim Scharf on behalf of the families to attend the sentencing. And I was really grateful for that because it was such a precedent-setting case, I felt like it was really important to visibly support the victims' families and show that just because you happen to be related to somebody who did something like this, you don't take their side. 
Was that the first time you met Jay and Tanya's families? Yeah, we were able to uh, to connect and finally meet with Jay's uh, sisters and, and then with uh, Tanya's brother. What they've been through is unimaginable. They were absolutely gracious and kind and welcoming. It was the right choice to be there and uh, to be supportive of them that day. So you saw William in court? I did see him. Do you recall what he said? He made a few statements about things like, I have sympathy for the families, but I have loathing for anyone who could think I would do such a thing. And if you talk to people who knew me, they'll tell you that I was never violent and I've never harmed anyone. It was unfortunate that he felt the need to say anything and maintain his innocence to the end instead of having some kind of shred of decency to acknowledge what had happened and acknowledge the pain he inflicted on the families and what he took from them. William Talbot continues to appeal his case, but his conviction marks him as a specific kind of criminal, one who had many of the same traits as a serial murderer, but appears to have only killed that one time, just like Raymond Rowe. What could we learn about this type of criminal by looking at these two offenders? All right, Billy, so we've got these two really interesting cases that have both been solved using genetic genealogy. And what's really interesting is that in both of them, we've got these two killers that really just blew the minds of investigators and defied their expectations. What's even more interesting is that Raymond Rowe and William Talbot really couldn't be more different in terms of their approaches to their crime. So while they're both one and dones, they're different kinds of killer. Yeah, they, there's, they were obviously both male. They were both 24 years old, so they were fairly young when they committed the crimes. But after that, the similarities get sparse. Roe seems to have stalked Christy Morak beforehand, possibly starting as a peeping Tom to driving past her place during his commute. And it didn't seem like he was at all uh, prepared to actually do something because he didn't bring any weapons. But Talbot actually picked his victims at random. And he also had a plan how to pull off his crime and get away with it. He was organized, whereas Raymond Rowe at the crime scene was not. What's even more crazy is that after they committed these crimes, how they decided to sort of hide. Raymond Rowe hid in plain sight. He became like a well-known DJ who was out in the open and attracting as much attention as possible. But Talbot laid low. He really just stayed under the radar indefinitely. So it's not really just how they commit the crimes, but also how they hide. So they're wildly different, but yet still one and dones. Yeah, because they both committed similar sexual homicides. And the real kicker is that the whole reason we decided to investigate these cases is that as far as anybody knows, they only killed once. Right. And here's what we know. We know they both got away with it for decades. And without genetic genealogy, they would have gotten away with it forever. And that's what we're talking about here. Genetic genealogy is identifying this different kind of killer, this newer type of killer that has never really been on the books before. Nobody can really process that. And the really scary part is it's identifying more of them than anyone expected. Everybody expected all of these serial killers, but we're seeing a lot of these potential one and dones. Right. These guys are freaking everywhere. The Talbot and Rowe cases show how critical of a tool genetic genealogy is for solving cold case murders. And that begs the question, why isn't it being used more? 
That's after the break. You've solved how many cases with genetic genealogy? We've solved five cases with genetic genealogy of determining who the killer is. And we've solved three with genetic genealogy to identify who the victim is. How come we're not seeing more? I don't understand it either. That was Jim Scharf, the investigator we met last episode who embraced genetic genealogy to help solve the 1987 murders of Tanya Van Kylenborg and Jay Cook. And GEDmatch was a major part of that breakthrough. GEDmatch was the hub that first made genetic genealogy a widely accessible tool. By allowing users to upload their DNA profile from different ancestry sites into one common database, people could make far more connections than ever before. Paul Holes, the investigator who spearheaded the capture of the Golden State Killer, and who's also my partner on Jensen and Holes, the murder squad, was always impressed with how easy the process is. GEDmatch is a tower of Babel for genealogy. You have these different genealogy testing companies like Ancestry.com, 23andMe, MyHeritage, Family Tree DNA, and they have their own proprietary DNA testing that they do that can't be searched. If I get tested in Ancestry.com, I cannot directly search 23andMe. What GEDmatch allows a search across multiple genealogy testing laboratories. Walk me through the process of uploading a sample. Like, how long does it take and how, how expensive was it? This profile, even though it's, it's huge, is a simple text file. So the process of uploading this DNA profile is the same as if you were to upload a photograph into a social media account. It's that easy. To upload into GEDmatch, it was free. You know, and that's one of the amazing things about the website is it was a free service to anybody who wanted to use it. Even better, the testing itself was superior to traditional forensic DNA databases that could only identify very close kin, like a parent or sibling. Genetic genealogy is, is based on a completely different type of DNA testing than what we have done traditionally within crime laboratories. They generate a DNA profile that looks at single points, hundreds of thousands of single points across all the chromosomes within a person's DNA sample. And the more points that an individual shares with another person within a database, the more closely related they are. Initially, genetic genealogy was used to help adoptees connect with their biological parents. But that application soon presented a chance to help law enforcement solve a decades-old mystery. What were the uses of genetic genealogy for law enforcement prior to using it to catch killers? The first case that I'm aware of was related to identifying a little girl by the name that we knew as Lisa Jensen. And this was a girl that was abandoned in 1986 down in Santa Cruz, California by an individual who professed to be Larry Vanner. Larry Vanner, who would later be connected to multiple other aliases, had been raising Lisa Jensen as a single dad when he abandoned her with a couple at a trailer park and fled when she was just five years old. 
17 years later, in 2003, he would be convicted of murdering his girlfriend on Soon Jun. It was later confirmed that he wasn't Lisa's biological father. So who then was Lisa Jensen? And where did she come from? Vanner never revealed the truth, and he died in prison in 2010. It would not be until the rise of ancestry technology in the early 2010s that authorities would find an answer with the help of GEDmatch. Dr. Barbara Ray Venter ended up doing this triangulation method to identify Lisa Jensen as Don Bodin, who was a missing girl out of New Hampshire. And that ultimately kind of spiraled into a huge case and huge connections with uh, the Bear Brook murders, as well as who Larry Vanner was. Larry Vanner was identified eventually as Terry Rasmussen, and he was connected to multiple murders of women and children. It was also confirmed that he had disappeared with Lisa and her mom when Lisa was only five months old. To date, her mom has not yet been found. That part of the mystery is yet to be solved. But genetic technology had proven its usefulness in connection with criminal cases. It had rebuilt the biological history of a child who had been abducted and abandoned by a serial killer. Paul Holes wanted to know if Dr. Barbara Ray Venter could use it to find a serial killer who was still on the loose. I reached out and asked, could this tool be used to identify an unknown offender? And she basically said, I see no reason why it couldn't. So Golden State Killer was the first time to identify an unknown offender. And the dam broke for law enforcement to utilize the genetic genealogy tool in these unsolved cases. It was like dominoes. Some of the most horrific cases out there start getting solved utilizing this tool. The identification of Joseph D'Angelo as the Golden State Killer set off a gold rush of investigators hoping to solve other cold cases with this new technique. And it paid immediate dividends. Starting in the spring of 2018 and using GEDmatch, authorities closed more than 40 cases in the first year alone. And they were barely scratching the surface. Can you walk us through why there were so many solved right at the beginning? They were going after the low-hanging fruit. They just focused on those cases that had close enough matches that they could work very quickly. Parabon ended up being in a prime position to be able to utilize this tool because Parabon had generated this special type of DNA profile in order to do the phenotyping, you know, predict eye color, predict hair color. So they reached out to agencies and said, we can do this. You don't even have to send us any more sample. We've already got the profile. We can just convert it and get it uploaded into GEDmatch. And so that's what they did is they just rapidly started working case after case. Tons of cases got solved very, very quickly. Police expected to find the bulk of these crimes connected to serial offenders that had yet to be identified. The reality was very different. How often was a serial killer presumed responsible for a case that had gone cold that was of a sexual homicide nature? You have a cluster of cases, and the assumption is one person's committing all these cases. So when that person's caught and he's convicted of, let's say, one out of the five cases, investigation into the other cases stops because they just assume that person was responsible. 
And it turns out, well, no, you know, DNA testing has shown, uh, actually, there is multiple predators at work in this particular area at that moment in time. A lot of times there's these one-off offenders that commit possibly a very horrific crime and then is living a normal life and just blending into society like that crime never happened. The list of these one-off offenders being unmasked was staggering. It included 78-year-old Terrence Miller, a retired heavy equipment operator who now ran a ceramic shop with his wife of 40 years. Back in 1972, he raped and murdered 20-year-old Jody Loomis after he saw her riding her bike to her horse stables in Snohomish County, Washington. Miller had no other criminal record. There was 66-year-old Gary Hartman, a community nurse specialist. In 1986, he abducted, raped, and murdered 12-year-old Michelle Welch into coma, then apparently kept himself clean for 32 years. There was also 66-year-old Jerry Burns, a respected small business owner, in 1979, he stabbed 18-year-old Michelle Bartinko to death in a mall parking lot in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. There's no evidence linking him to any other crimes. Considering how long these one-and-done killers had gotten away with their crimes, it's a safe bet to say that none of them would ever have been caught without genetic genealogy. The problem is, is that law enforcement's tools to try to catch these guys up until genealogy came available whether it be sex offender registries, fingerprint databases, DNA databases, are predicated on the repeat offender. These one-offs, they're not repeat offenders. And so they basically render some of the most valuable tools to law enforcement to solve cases moot. But just as the floodgates were opening on being able to solve these cases, investigators hit a colossal snag. And it would turn into a frustrating combination of bureaucracy and misconceptions that could give one-and-done killers a get-out-of-jail-free card. The problem started with the company at the center of this new technology, GEDmatch. GEDmatch, at the time that I had used it, they had basically, by default, people were opted in to have their DNA searched publicly with other people within the GEDmatch database. So in essence, the entirety of the GEDmatch database was available to me. The concern at the time was, as well, how is the general public going to perceive law enforcement use of this tool? How is this going to play out in the court of public opinion, as well as within the legal court process? Despite the resounding success of law enforcement in taking previously unidentified murderers off the street, GEDmatch decided that the safe move, from a PR standpoint, would be to distance themselves from any active involvement in the process. After the owners of GEDmatch became concerned, GEDmatch changed their policy, and in essence, the users had to proactively opt in. And they put everybody in the database at that moment in time. They switched them to opt it out. This wasn't a notice sent to users asking them if they wanted to opt out. It was an automatic opting out of every profile already on the site. And it was devastating. In essence, GEDmatch went from having hundreds of thousands of profiles that could be searched to zero. 
that database shrunk so much that it almost became useless at that moment in time. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. To think that these people are out there and just being able to, to function and live a life, they stole somebody else's life. That is what galls me. That's a life they don't deserve. In May of 2019, GEDmatch had approximately one million DNA profiles that law enforcement could use in their searches. Violent crimes involving rape and murder were being solved on a near weekly basis. But that month, just over a year after the Golden State Killer was caught, GEDmatch changed their terms of service to an opt-in model, and cold cases took a hard hit. Talk about GEDmatch changing their policy and how much that affected genetic genealogy for solving cases. Well, of course, this has huge ramifications to law enforcement solving cases because it is predicated on finding relatives. And the more people that you can search in the database, the greater the likelihood you'd be able to find a relative. Now, over time, it is building back up, but it still is not to where it was at. Over the next year, the total number of GEDmatch users grew to 1.4 million. But only 200,000 profiles opted in for law enforcement searches just 14% of the overall pool. A big reason for this discrepancy is that people are simply conditioned to opt out of additional services when they sign up for something online. We all understand that hesitation of not wanting to be added to an email list or possibly have our activity tracked. 
But there is also a legitimate fear of what might happen if someone attempted to steal our information for reasons other than trying to make a genealogical match. Add in the concerns about how police might use people's profiles, and law enforcement is left with a real PR battle, a problem we discussed with Paul Holes. Why do you think people may be fearful of opting in? Well, you know, it's it's obviously a very personal decision on how they want to have their DNA profiles utilized. I think the fear comes more from, well, what is law enforcement going to do? If anybody has any fears about how that sample is used, recognize that law enforcement never has access to that sample or that DNA profile. They just need to utilize those people as starting data points to build genealogy trees that is public source information. I can right now take anybody, as long as I know their name and their approximate age, and start building their family tree in Ancestry.com, just using the available census records and obituaries and find a grave information. That is completely public information. They're also potentially concerned that, oh, if, if I happen to match somebody, then law enforcement's going to be knocking on my door and harassing me or wanting to get my DNA sample to be compared to a crime scene. And the, the reality is that is not how law enforcement utilizes this technique. And most of the time, the searches of the database come back with relatives that are so distantly related from the offender that they're looking for, law enforcement has no reason to go talk to anybody. The fear is really, I think, more out of just the unknown. Chelsea Rustad, whose genealogy profile brought William Talbot to justice, is a vocal supporter of opting in, using herself as an example. I'm glad that it turned out the way that it did and that I was able to have this happenstance connection that ended up being so meaningful in this case. And I hope that more people will will continue to just be informed about it, not be scared of it, but to learn what it could mean, not just for themselves and their understanding of their family history, but what it can mean to others to fill in those gaps and provide the answers that they've been desperately searching for. I'm glad that there's another tool in the toolbox, not just to solve the cases and, you know, identify the perpetrators, but to have the deterrent effect. Because when people know that this exists and this technology is out there, they might, it might give them pause and they might think twice before acting on these terrible urges and hurting other people and actually killing other people. But winning the court of public opinion is only the first step. Because as early arrests were being made, lawmakers eager to please their constituents were already in a rush to respond to any perceived hesitations about this technology. Legislators out there who were looking at passing laws that would ban law enforcement's use of this tool. And what did you do after that? You sort of became an ambassador for genetic genealogy across the country. Yeah, you know, a lot of the interviews that I was doing at the time was really to try to allay the the fears of this tool because it is not as invasive as what most people would generally think. And so I was trying to be very public about 
outlining how the tool was used to make sure that they did their due diligence to truly understand what the tool was before they passed legislation restricting law enforcement's use of it. Federal guidelines have since stipulated that genetic genealogy should be limited to the most violent cases, like rape and murder, and should concentrate on cold cases rather than active ones. Active cases should exhaust all other forensic tools first before this process is even considered. But even under these recommendations, there's one other constituent that has surprisingly offered some resistance, and that is the law enforcement community itself. There were initial concerns about whether this process would hold up in court. The Golden State Killer didn't test this as he took a plea deal. Raymond Rowe also pled guilty. It took the Talbot case to show that a jury trial could secure a conviction by using genetic genealogy. But some law enforcement officers still felt the writing was on the legislative wall. I am aware that there are agencies concerned about, you know, how the state, the state has come out with certain legislative efforts where they see, okay, this is not going to be something that we're going to be permitted to use. So we're not going to waste our time doing it. And it's unfortunate because they're denying the families of the victims answers. I personally have asked some police departments why they aren't using genetic genealogy on their cold cases. And their answers are dodgy at best. Some have said it's a cost issue. But even when some of them were given a chance to do it at no cost, they still said no. People are just too focused on the work that they're doing to learn this new tool. So what does the future hold for genetic genealogy? What do, you, what do we need to do? We need to get the administrators in those agencies focused on solving these crimes. We need to get them to allocate an officer or two to work on them. The amount of money that they're spending on salaries for a year could probably solve a couple of dozen cases in a year. So the salaries that people are, are getting for doing the job is being wasted by not doing the lab work that it takes to solve them. Because trying to, to do the footwork on them to track them down without doing the lab work is much more costly. What I would tell people too is upload your DNA to GEDmatch so that you can help law enforcement do their job. The more people that are in GEDmatch, the more chances are that we're gonna match to a second cousin instead of a fourth cousin and be able to solve it in a day instead of two years. I mean, it's painful enough just to know that your loved one was murdered, but then to never have any answers. Through our work, we can get answers. Maybe not all the answers, but enough answers if we can find who did it and hold them accountable for it. Paul Holes makes a similar plea for anyone who might still be hesitant. They are providing a hugely valuable service to law enforcement by adding their DNA. They may be the one that could help solve a horrific crime. Imagine if you had lost your own loved one, wouldn't you want somebody to take the necessary steps that would help solve that crime? They potentially can be the one that causes 
that offender to be identified and caught and give that family an answer. Christy Marac's brother Vince is one of those family members who was finally brought some peace when Raymond Rowe was caught. The fact that he was going to be in prison the rest of his life was enough for us. How do you feel knowing that this guy lived a normal life, seemingly a thriving life, was getting married and having children and, and doing everything that Christy wasn't able to do? It's, it's, it's very, very hard. Um, especially the fact that he lived his life the way he lived his life for longer than she was alive. It's very, very hard to even imagine. He got what he deserved. I mean, the evidence against him was, you know, astronomical. And here's Tanya Van Kylenborg's brother, John. For 30 years, he really couldn't put an end to the story. You really didn't know what had happened. We still don't have all the answers, but it's, uh, yeah, I wanted to see this through to the end and support the, you know, tremendous efforts that go into bringing a case like this to justice. Despite the growing pains, genetic genealogy continues to make incredible progress. Through GEDmatch alone, approximately 150 cases have now been solved. As other databases become available, the numbers could increase exponentially especially as the science continues to improve. What's your ideal future for genetic genealogy look like, and how do we get there? Well, I, th I think, you know, th there's several aspects to the genealogy process that needs to mature. We typically have very, very poor samples, and so the testing aspects of generating the genealogy-compatible DNA profile from poor forensic samples needs to be optimized. And then, of course, seeing the database grow and having these databases available for law enforcement to search across the nation. There, there's going to be hundreds, if not thousands, of unsolved homicide cases, which could be solved using genealogy. This is the next big revolution for law enforcement. Genetic genealogy is the wave of the future. We can solve many more cases with this new tool. It's wonderful. The most important thing to remember with this technology is that it is not subjective. It doesn't rely on probabilities or educated guesswork. It's science in the purest sense of the word. Genetic genealogy provides very concrete leads that are based on DNA. So it has an exponential greater power than what a behavioral analysis can possibly provide about a case. Let us remind you, the early profiles of Raymond Rowe and William Talbot were different than the reality. And there is always the possibility that those differences could have created tunnel vision for investigators as they pursued leads, steering them away from the truth. You don't know anybody. No matter how well you think you know somebody, you still really don't know the, everything about them. Because everybody has secrets. And your next door neighbor could be the nicest person in the world. And you might think he's the nicest person in the world, but he may have killed somebody somewhere sometime. And that leaves a very big question for profilers. 
in light of this new approach that's exposing the shortcomings of profiling, what is the future of their profession? Next time on Unraveled, Once a Killer. How did Talbot match up with that profile? He didn't match up to it at all. Did profiling just not account for this species of, of killer? There hasn't been a really good comprehensive study to figure out, well, what is going on with these offenders? You have to understand, profiling itself is not a science. Profiling is actually a norm. I don't know that I've ever seen a profile that was 100% accurate. Profiles can be wrong. One profiler can take a look at the same information as another profiler and draw some fairly significant different conclusions. You think it's possible to develop a profile to profile one and dunce? That's a, a very interesting question. Unraveled is produced by Joke Productions for ID. The executive producers of this podcast are Joke Finciun, Biagio Messina, Jeff Kuntz, and myself, Billy Jensen, and Alexis Linkletter. The executive producer for ID is Tim Bainey. Additional producing and writing is by Eric Smith. Our editor is Corey Nye. The music and score that you have heard in this podcast is by Biagio Messina, Dave Pellman, and the Alibi and Nimble Libraries. Make sure to check for episode five next week, wherever you get your podcasts. And it helps a lot when you subscribe, rate, and review the podcast that you enjoy. Thank you for listening and for your support. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.